secret island base. Bomb? Nobody told me about a bomb. In the middle of the ocean. Do you hear that? One podcast kingpin gets more than a vacation. We, uh, we've taken over this island, and you can't have it back, so one movie punch is dead. Do I cut the red wire or the blue wire? Now one movie spouse must assemble the team. Andrew checking in. This is Garrett. Brian here. It's Keith. To face new enemies. This is Julie from How I Met Your Friends Pod. We are the Super Media Bros Podcast. Retro late fee. Massive late fee. We're watching here. And new surprises. A green, yellow, and purple wire too? This summer. Give me some sugar, baby. Comes a trailer. For cheesecake! That has absolutely no context. The periwinkle wire, the turquoise wire, the tangerine wire, the burnt sienna wire, the striped wire. How many freaking wires does this bomb have? One Movie Punch presents The Big Heads Media Takeover. Subscribe at onemoviepunch.libsyn.com or wherever you enjoy podcasts. The off-white wire, the cream wire, the eggshell wire, the heavy cream wire. I'm Michael, the host of the semi-monthly podcast, In a City Like Yours. Join me as I chat with interesting people with interesting life stories. You can listen to the podcast on all major podcast platforms, including Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. You can follow us on Twitter at IACLYS Podcast, as well as on Facebook and Instagram at In a City Like Yours Podcast. Please feel free to let me know what you think. And keep coming back for the many interesting stories in a city like yours. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. And now, on with the show. Hey everyone, welcome to... We're watching here! We're watching here! Hi, I'm Perry Seibert, your co-host, and allow me to introduce the Bernie Toppin to my Elton John, Chris Williams. Hey, how's it going, Perry? Good, how you doing? I'm doing pretty great. What are we talking about today? We are talking about the 1979 classic, All That Jazz. I wanted to talk about this to celebrate the 40th anniversary of it winning the Palme d'Or at Cannes, and, uh... And the fact that uh, Verdon, Fa- uh, yeah, Verdon, Fa- uh, Fosse Verdon, Fosse Verdon, Fosse Verdon was on uh, FX, finished its run. Uh, it's a movie that uh, uh, we'll get into details later, but let me say that every 10 years when Sight and Sound does their poll of the uh, the greatest films ever made, they ask directors and critics to, to list their 10 greatest films of all time. Uh, I've never been asked but I make one up every year. It's the years that end in a two, so we're only three years away from this again. And I swore uh, eight years ago, or no, no, when last time. So six years ago, the next time I did this, all that jazz would be on that list. I can't believe it never makes it every year, and it's so good. And so, yes, that's why I wanted to talk about it with you. And I realized you'd never seen it. No, I haven't. So I'm excited that you watched it for this. This is going to be a great conversation, I think. I hope so. Um, Yeah, but before we do that, we always do the what we've been watching, and yours is... Probably a little more related to all that jazz, so I wanna, I'm going to start first on Go this. for it. Uh, which is, I recently watched the extended edition of Terrence Malick's Tree of Life. Uh, oh, which whoa. Is, which was released last year by Criterion. 
Uh, and I bought it last year, and I just got around to watching it this year because you need some time to watch this movie. Yes. Uh, Tree of Life is, in, it came out in 2011. It has been in my top five of all time since that point. <laughs> uh, it is a movie that I just... It hits me in a very special place. It's very spiritual and it really kind of just evokes a lot of soul searching in me and things like that. And I think it's just a, a movie that I also like to just kind of turn on and swim in for a little bit. Uh, so I was really excited to see the extended edition. Uh, they restore, I think it's about 58 minutes into this, which was not a short movie already. Uh, it was about two hours, 15 minutes from uh-huh. its original cut. And it's pushing three hours here. Um, and it's, it's you know, you need a night on this one. This is, <laughs> this is not a casual sit with uh, some popcorn and the wife. It's Is it more Sean Penn and dinosaurs? No. Um, the majority of the new scenes are all in the middle section. The, uh, the growing up in Texas section. Okay. And it honestly plays like a completely different film oh, in yeah. many ways. Uh, you have a lot more shading to the Brad Pitt character. He's kind of painted as more of a frustrated, pathetic figure in this. You understand more of what kind of drives him and what's making him be so harsh. You have a lot more context about his marriage to Jessica Chastain's character. Uh, there is a sequence with a tornado, which is as close as this movie gets to an action sequence. <laughs> uh, but it's I, I mean, it's really something. It's gorgeously filmed. I mean, that's... I, that goes without saying. Yes. Um, it is a movie that just, it feels different. It feels like the characters all have a little bit more shading. It feels a little bit more rounded out. Whereas I think in the original, you, the original version, you get kind of glimpses of it. Um, it it kind of checks in for a scene and that scene will be go before it kind of has the chance to root a little bit. Which I also think is a downfall of this version. Uh, because I like this. I would not say... I've seen some people say this is a better version. It's not. It's a, it's a more complete version in many ways. But it also feels more like a narrative. Which the thing I like about Tree of Life is how poetic it is. And that scenes don't necessarily flow smoothly one into the other. They kind of drift off into ellipses. And yeah. that's that's the thing that... The movie just evokes kind of dreamlike quality to me. And this just feels a little more in that middle section like a conventional movie. Um, it doesn't explain the ending at all <laughs> any better, uh, which I do think is the movie's kind of stumbling point, is what this is all supposed to mean at the end. <laughs> but you do also understand more about the Sean Penn character. There's a little bit more about him that kind of lets you see how he's kind of, you know, following his father's footsteps a little bit more and... I don't know. It's an interesting view. I don't know that it's going to be the version I return to over and over. But it's an interesting an interesting set. Um, I'm probably sound out really great on this. But, uh, I'm intrigued. I, I, um, I, I, I respect Tree of Life a great deal. I don't adore it. Uh, I didn't at the time. I've never seen the three-hour cut. I, uh, what, you, what intrigues me in your description is exactly the fact that I, I, I like narrative. Okay. <laughs> and so that was my, my observation and experience in the film was, okay, we're not going to get a scene. We're not going to get a scene, a traditional mm-hmm. dramatic scene where someone wants something and tries to get it and is stopped and then learns something. And because of what they learn, they know what to do next. 
And that's fine. I'm not saying that's required. That's the writer in me. Mm -hmm. Uh, I understand the concept of pure cinema, as people would like to think of it. Uh, Tree of Life is certainly that. (laughs) It is a a poetic montage of images and sound. Uh, I am intrigued by the fact that you would... <laughs> There's a version that exists where you could shoehorn the plot into it. And I will... I'm intrigued at what this looks like. It may work not well at all, but I am intrigued at what it looks like. Yes, I'd like to see this. I will say, there's. I don't even know that it's more there's traditional scenes where it's like, oh, this happens and this happens in the scene. It's You just get more of those moments with, which kind of all taken together tell you, oh, so Brad Pitt's character disappears for half the film. Here's where he's at, and here's why he's there. And it just, it does feel more like a story of, oh, this family is kind of fractured and there's a reason for the tension. Because there are scenes in the original where Brad Pitt and Jessica Chastain will just erupt. You have no idea this is, like, it's out of nowhere, it seems. And here the tensions build up a little bit more. Does the kid know it? Is that, are those sequences there for you? Or is it the does the child understand why the parents are having the fight? Because if they if he doesn't, then I'm real cool with it not being there. Since that's the it's our, sort of the experience of Tree of Life. I, you is know, you're so experiencing the world that, that kid experiences. It's been a few weeks, but I I believe he's there for most of it. Like sometimes he's just out of earshot or out uh-huh. of the room, but within earshot. I mean, um, it's it's interesting. I, I mean, if if people who like the movie, I think it's it's kind of an interesting companion piece. If you're not completely sold on Tree of Life, I don't know that it's worth sitting through an extra hour of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's the Tree of Life. Yeah, it's, it, <laughs> I mean, is. It, it is. It is. Malik's one of those guys you're sold on, you know, a movie of his or you're not. And I'm sold on some of his and really not on some of his. <laughs> this is one, I, this is one I, I love a lot, but it is, I think we talked about this in our critics episode. Uh, it is one of those movies that talking about it, I don't even know why I just did that. Because it is it is a movie that works on such a spiritual level for me. Yeah. That it, to put it into words is so hard. So even then, I can watch the movie and just be, oh, I'm enraptured by this. I can leave the movie and I have no idea why. Like, it's just <laughs> something that works in that moment. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, that is Tree of Life Extended Edition. You can buy it through Criterion. Um, or you can borrow it from me. You can so. you could you could also buy Badlands if you've never seen it. If you if you'd like to dip your toe into the Malik <laughs> waters, start with the first one and still the best one. Start with Badlands. But yes, <laughs> absolutely go to Tree of Life also. Yes. What have you been watching? Uh, I felt the need to talk about Rocket Man. Sure. Uh, I because it's a film that I was almost dreading actually seeing because is there any horrier h o a r y e r genre than the musical biopic? There is not. Right. This is everybody knows the ticks and talks on this is how this has got to go. It's the mm-hmm. it's the horrible early life or the great early life that is suddenly cut short by tragedy. The slow buildup of talent, the explosion into uh, mass success. And then addiction, and then recovery, and then uh, renewal, and then uh, redemption, and and a comeback. That's what they all are. That's what they all do. I was not eager to see this <laughs> for this very reason. I figured this can't this can't work. And then I got there and realized, oh my word, they're it's it's the problems aren't that it's that they're trying an even more disreputable genre, the jukebox musical. <laughs> 
which is a horrifying genre that exists only because of nostalgia. I loathe the jukebox musical. They're very good jukebox musicals. Don't get me wrong. It's possible to make a good one. It's possible to make a very good one. But... For the most part, these exist for the worst possible reasons to just recontextualize tunes that you loved when you were a lot younger mm-hmm. and in the service of a plot that is utterly pointless. <laughs> yes, I'm looking at you, Rock of Ages. <laughs> Granted, those songs are utterly pointless too, but that's beside the point. Um, and what was stunning to me is that uh, how much of this they got right. <laughs> Yeah, I I, want to be clear. I don't know that I actually like Rocketman, but I respect it. Mm -hmm. I think it was made for all the right reasons. I think it's fascinating that you recontextualize Elton John's songs into moments of his life. And that's what you make those songs about in that moment. And that you do re-record them all in uh, subtly different arrangements and with completely different vocals so that you are denying the audience the easy pleasure of the hit and rush of hearing those songs again. I'm looking at you, Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> uh, and and that's, that's... Brave is too strong a word, but that's a bold choice. That is a choice that says, no, we're going to do this. I'm not going to give you the thing I expect to give you. I want to do what I want to do over here. Um... And it is, it's impossible to watch this film and not think about Bohemian Rhapsody at the same time for a number of reasons. Right. Dexter Fletcher was the director who came in to mm-hmm. finish the film when the original director was fired from Bohemian Rhapsody. Uh, I think that the very, uh, I don't want to say very explicit, meaning pornographic in capacity, but the no-holds-barred gay sex scenes in this movie, I think, are a tweak at the producers of Bohemian Rhapsody quite pointedly. Sure. Uh uh, this movie is far more interesting than Bohemian Rhapsody because this Elton John is far more deep and far more interesting and allowed to be terrible, <laughs> which Freddie Mercury is not allowed to be. He's a god in Bohemian Rhapsody. Bohemian You're Rhapsody. lucky. <laughs> um, the, it's uh, the 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 scene when he has his utter snit fit before going out on the the into the troubadour for the first time when he locks himself in the bathroom yeah. stall. That's great. That's that's the uh, if you are uh, a big Elton John fan, you might remember there was a fantastic HBO documentary made, I think a decade ago at this point, called Tantrums and Tiaras. Remember the, <laughs> uh, remember the title? I Check guess. it out; it's okay. really good. That's I wanted moments like that are in that documentary in this movie for it to work, and there are. So, uh, not all of the fantasy sequences work. But none of them, uh, none of them are, uh, none of them are so ridiculous that you go, "Oh my God, what am I watching?" I'm looking at you across the universe, <laughs> and uh, w- they are right to locate the emotional heart of that story in his relationship with Bernie Taupin, which I think is one of the most fascinating professional relationships ever in popular culture. I, I think uh, the whole story could have just been about that without any of the songs, and I'd be fascinated. And uh, they're right. As long as, just like in real life, when Elton and Bernie are sharing the screen, just like when they share songwriting credits, the movie works. Oh, yeah. The movie works beautifully, even following the template of the superstar biopic musical, which we've come to expect. It's, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a film that makes choices, and sticks by them. And I really respect that. And I liked it much more than I expected to. And even when it doesn't work, I, like I said, I'm like, I know why you're doing that. Mm-hmm. And I really respect that. I, I, I don't agree with it. I'm not saying it's sold, but you're not, you're not making me lose track. You're not making me go, I don't want to watch this anymore. You've made it for all the right reasons. It's a film that surprisingly does not pander. Like Elton's music himself, he's a savvy, savvy pop music maker, and it's a it's a well made film. It's it's a really interesting movie. 
I saw Rocket Man as well. Um, I pretty much I agree with you on this. I was dreading it too. Uh, <laughs> and I haven't seen Bohemian Rhapsody, but I am one of those people who feels like I don't know that the musical biopic should exist after Walk Hard. Like if, the, <laughs> if there is a scene, in, if there's a scene in the movie that could easily appear in Walk Hard, why are you making the movie? Yeah. Uh, and I will say there are scenes in Rocket Man where I'm like. Oh, yeah, that's a walk-hard scene. Oh, yeah. Uh, there, I mean, there is a point where he is kind of going crazy on drugs, and I pretty much expect, this is a really dark fucking period! Yes. And, but the thing I do not like in these movies at all is the moment where someone says something like, oh, you're a real rocket man, and he's like, wait a minute. And then yeah. you see him right in the start, which you can't do with this, because Bernie Taupin wrote the lyrics. So they do find that interesting in, and some of them are yeah. a bit on the nose, or a bit of a... You know, they're, they're a bit hammy. Uh, the uh, Saturday Night's All Right for Fighting. That's the worst sequence in the, the movie. I would have cut except it. Except it has one of my favorite moments where you do cut from the kid, who at that point was kind of sort of holding my interest. But the first time you see Taron Egerton in it, like the movie just shoots up in energy <laughs> so quickly. I, I really liked him in it. Um, I really liked him as Elton John. I also, though, wanted the whole movie to be him and Bernie Taupin. Him yeah. And, uh, just Jamie Bell's Egerton. fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And, that's the only, like, the singing is fine. The fantasy sequences are a lot of fun. I, I like the way they imagined a lot of them. Um, you know, and they kind of can get away with inaccuracies and things. Like, he didn't turn into a real rocket at the end of one song and fly out. But you know what? It works because that's the type of movie they're making. It's, yes. it's a fantasy movie, and he is a singer who, if you're going to tell his story, it needs to be fantastical in a little bit. Um, <laughs> I like that it's honest about, you know, like you said, he, he's kind of a dick. Um, I did not buy the rehab framing story at all. That that was that was a bit much. That was a little bit okay. It was quick and easy. It, it felt stagey to me. And but anytime it was just Taron Edgerton and Jamie Bell, I just I felt like I was watching real yeah, people. It's and good. Not not walk hard. Right. And, uh, and I like that quite a bit. Um, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. It's it's not great, um, but it doesn't need to be great. It needed to be entertaining for me. And it was a fun night at the theater, and I liked the music. Yeah. And, yeah, it doesn't fall into that trap of being the same old thing. And the only thing that, that kind of made me hesitant when I learned more about it was at the end, when you, it, they pretty much tell you, Elton John <laughs> has, first off, remember how we just spent two hours telling you how bad his life was? <laughs> we're, we're not going to tell you about all the good stuff he did at the end, except to put them over the end credits. Uh, which I'm kind of like... You know, you could have had a scene of him starting an AIDS charity or something like that. But then just understanding that Elton John is kind of, you know, he's been a champion of this movie and involved in it. And you wouldn't get the songs if he wasn't. But right, that's where I'm like, oh, I, I want one of these movies where they're unauthorized. And it's, you know, <laughs> it, it can just do what it wants to do. Um, but you know what? Whatever. Uh, my dad was telling me how great Bohemian Rhapsody was. And so I wanted to go send him to see Rocket Man. And, uh... Yeah, to see how it's done. Uh, well, Chris, let's get to the main event and show them how it's done. I, I thought right. about Rocket Man when, we wa when I watched all that jazz. <laughs> yes. Talk about a music biopic that gets it really, really right and mm -hmm. unlike any other film that's ever existed. Uh, so, yes, we're talking about all that jazz, which is Bob Fosse's, uh, I'm just going to go ahead and say autobiography. I have no other way to describe it. He describe you know he he hides it by the fact he changes the name of the lead character. Uh, if you know anything at all about Bob Fosse's life, you'll understand that this is 
this is Fosse's grand statement about himself mm -hmm. and his work. And believe me, his work was all that existed above Fosse. Fosse was was obsessed with his work uh, and with drugs and with women and with uh, behaving very badly but very charmingly he was a fascinating figure and uh, the most important choreographer of the last 50 years I don't think that's debatable when talking about stage and film I don't know enough about high art and ballet to get there but for the purposes of dances you and I run into it on a regular basis sure. he is he is He's the person to go to. Mm -hmm. uh, and this movie will tell you a lot about Bob Fosse, more than you might realize. <laughs> uh, it is a phantasmagoric <laughs> leap into, uh, into the afterlife. I guess, kind of. It's yeah. a hard film to describe, and it sounds like I'm giving things away, and I am not. For this is, like Tree of Life, a sensory experience. <laughs> it is funny. I was thinking a lot about Tree of Life when I was watching the movie, because... It really is that idea. I mean, Tree of Life is a semi-autobiographical movie. It, it's Malick reflecting on his growing up. But it's also this idea that, oh yeah, I'm also going to layer in some thoughts I might have about what comes next and re-examining my life in light of what I know happened in the past. And yes. By the way, everything is happening now. <laughs> uh, you know, and yes. That's this movie in many ways. There is, uh, so the, the recent FX series, Fosse Verdon, was based on a fantastic biography of Bob Fosse written by a man named Sam Lawson. Okay. And there is a line in that Lawson book that I think gets Fosse in a single sentence. Uh, and it was that Bob Fosse understood show business and he understood showbiz. And that to me is exactly right. And that's what all that jazz is. <laughs> it is it is the point it is it is watching an artist create a work of art that explains how he must create art and at the same time knows that he has to razzle and dazzle you to get you to watch it or believes he has to razzle and dazzle you to get you to watch it he has very deep things on his mind mm -hmm. that he's addressing in this movie about himself and at the same time, he doesn't trust that you're going to watch that unless he throws in a whole bunch of really entertaining stuff along the way. Oh yeah, and that is that is that is the uh, that is the collision that is the dichotomy that existed in all of Fosse's work. It, that is that is the core of Cabaret. That is the core of Lenny, <laughs> which are the other great films from him. Actually, like Star Eighty Two, which comes after, which is way more difficult and problematic, but still really interesting. But all that jazz to me is. A masterwork because it is. Uh, I, I think it's. I think it's inarguably the greatest dance film of the last half century. I'll go fifty years. I think that covers it. I can't think of anything that comes close to it. There might be films that capture better dancing, but I don't think they do so in service of something as grand as this vision. <laughs> uh, you know, there. Are, I'm sure there are documentaries that capture things, uh, aspects of dance that uh, are. Uh, that are just beautiful but the dancing in this film is both as we were talking about as I was talking about it's both show business and showbiz. it is grandly entertaining and it is really emotionally moving <laughs> as you get into it uh my favorite dance sequence ever in any movie yes I'm being that obnoxious to say this is in 
this movie, and it's the scene where uh, Gideon's daughter and his his current girlfriend uh, they. They do a duet to Everything Old is New Again that they've yeah. fashioned for him, specifically on a, a night when he's the movie he's directing is having its first premiere. I love this sequence. And it's not that it's the greatest dancing I've ever seen, although Anne Reinking's legs are one of the most amazing things you'll ever <laughs> see if you're into dance. She was remarkable and was was Fosse's girlfriend <laughs> in real life. <laughs> he... Uh, they he outright took fights they had and they're in the movie and she's playing this girlfriend in the movie. Uh, uh, it's it's a stunning film. I don't know anything like it. Uh, the obvious antecedent is eight and a half. Uh, you know, is which is Kenny that classic? Is going to mention when you read right? It, but... And it's it's uh, at the risk of offending so many. It's it's better than eight and a half. <laughs> It's been a while since it's, I've seen Eight and a Half. It's much better than Eight and a Half. And Eight and a Half is great. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> but uh, it runs with what Eight and a Half does and doesn't stop and is grandly entertaining and is incredibly bold and doesn't give you an easy out, mm-hmm. even though it keeps giving you pleasure throughout. I don't know a film that does this it, to this degree. It's a remarkable film. I think it's one of the most personal films ever made. I'll shut up. You talk for a while. I'm so sorry. No, no. Um, I wanted you to leave this because you had you've probably seen this movie multiple a times. A lot. Yeah. I had not seen it at all until two nights ago. Let's talk. Um, my my biggest uh, shock first off was that the song "All That Jazz" is not in the movie. No, and I was prepared for that. But that's a small thing. Um, no, I, I think everything you're saying. This is a movie that at first I thought, oh, are we getting? Just another behind-the-scenes showbiz story about a director telling us how he suffers for his art. And there's part of that there. I mean, this is him telling you, you know, he's he's driven by women. He's driven to just keep going. He's driven by his art. And by the way, it's killing him. Yes. And he, you know, but he that that's all he can do is keep making it and making it, even though it's killing him. Yes. But the moment this movie clicked for me when I saw, oh... He's doing something really unique here. Was there's a moment where um, Joe Gideon goes to talk to his ex-wife. Uh, he, there's a musical number that's just not working for him. Yes. And there, he's talking to her while she's practicing a dance number. Yes. And she continues to do the dance number while he's talking to her. And what clicked me, and I don't know why I didn't put this together before, but in the middle of the sequence, I realized, oh, no, 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 she's not dancing. They are both, this is, they are both choreographed in this moment. Yes. And you just realize this is a guy who has his story, and like you said, I'm going to tell this story in the most entertaining way possible. But that scene also works because of what comes next. He's going to talk to her about this frustration he has. They're, you know, they're ex-spouses, but they're still friends. And they still have this, you and know, business this partners. Play, yeah, and business partners, and they have this playful relationship, but they also drive each other nuts. And he goes to her because the scene's not working. She's doing this dance, which you can't help but watch and see. Just she's amazing yeah. at it. And you, they start doing this. You know, she, she's dancing. He's not, but he is. And he walks away. And then the next thing is, he's figured out that dance sequence, and it's the most just like blatantly sex-filled thing. <laughs> Erotica. Yeah. The erotica sequence. But what you realize is how the character was, he was feeding off that moment. Yes. And put that into into his dance. What I also realize is early in the movie, all the sequences of dance you see seem to be pretty quickly edited. And you always see Joe Gideon with the dancers. 
the erotica sequence is the se- the first scene where you see where he's he's just sitting there watching. You get a few glimpses, but it's them just doing this pretty much unending, you know, very sexually charged dance. And suddenly you're not just seeing, oh yeah, he figured out the dance. You're seeing Bob Fosse. Oh yeah, this is what works for me. <laughs> this is what turns me on on the you know on the stage. This is this is why Chicago is such a sexed up play because this is this is what I can do. This is what I know, and this is me putting out there in my art. I don't know if that's making any sense. Yes, but... and you understand the movie gives you the background on Fosse mm-hmm. to understand why it's so sexed up. Like it's not. Yeah. There's a reason. He keeps going back to women. Mm-hmm. He learns at an early age in very awful ways. Yeah. He associates show business with se- showbiz with sex. And uh, you're given that. He, he's savvy enough to know this about himself. Yeah, and you can't watch it apart from knowing. Like, I can't imagine someone watching this not knowing that Bob Fosse was kind of directing his autobiography. If they didn't know that, I can't imagine this movie making a ton of sense to them. It doesn't work the same way if you don't know that. Because that meta layer really works throughout this movie. Oh, yeah. Um, there's scenes where someone says something to him and he says, oh, that's a good line. I should put that in something. Yes. And, and he did. He put it in the movie. Yes. Um, it, it's really, it's, it kind of both captures his fascination of, of showbiz, like you said, his knowledge of it, but also really cynical takes on it. Oh, yes. Um, you know, you start getting to the scenes near the end where the accountants are doing arithmetic on, well, they, they can actually make a profit if he dies. Yes. And it's so clear-headed, and yet there's still affection for that. He still loves the business. Yes. Yes. And it's it's really complex stuff, and I, I was I was really kind of blown away by it. It was oh, good. not the movie I expected. I'm I so did glad. not expect the final hour to be just these surreal dance sequences, one after the other, until Roy Scheider is singing, you yes. know, a, a death number. <laughs> it, I like that. Uh-huh. Um, there is a... It wasn't on the Criterion disc, but uh, Matt Zollersites put together a video essay about all that jazz. I don't know if you've seen it. Um, oh, I can't... If I did, it's been a long time. But the thing he talks about is... Uh, I kind of alluded it to it earlier. He talks about the editing of the movie. Yeah. And that this is a movie that... You know, you see at the beginning his routine. He takes the pill. He turns on the music. Gets in the shower with the cigarette. Yes. He's like, when is this, ha- is this happening? It's showtime, folks. Yeah. Which, do you watch Better Call Saul? <laughs> I don't. Does okay. he, do they he, steal he that right? Once. He does that once. Okay. Um, then he's like, it's from a movie. But, uh, but you know, what, what the essay says and is, when do you think that happens? Is that at the beginning of the story? Is it the end of the story? He's like, that's... This whole movie is happening now. Yes. You know, is it a linear story? Is it a guy reflecting from his deathbed? And there are just so many quick edits in this. The scenes change quickly. Uh, it's it, It'll jump from a rehearsal to the afterlife where he's talking to, um, you know, just... The a, angel a of death. Yes. And then it'll immerse you just in his head when uh, there's a scene where they're doing the read-through, the table read. Yeah. And the sound drops out. And you are just in his head until he snaps that pencil, and that's when he has his heart attack. Yeah, and it's I, I know it just <laughs> I, I don't know how to put that in the words, but it's it's one of those movies that everything is urgent, everything is happening in front of you. It's not it's not the standard biopic, which is what we get too often. Yeah, and maybe that's more of what I wanted from Rocket Man too was just really go weird with it or really really push the envelope on the editing and the storytelling and the form of it. But I don't know that you could do that in any other movie except a guy telling his own story. Yeah, um, you 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 could you could you could this... do it, you could do it with someone who you know who we 
you could do it with someone who lived. Uh, well, it's, I mean, this is what. Uh, wow, I didn't think we'd get here, so I wasn't thinking about this. <laughs> Ken, uh, this is what Ken Russell did, you know, with his biographies of the great composers. Okay, you can run with it if it's that old. Mm-hmm. If you're not doing this just to just to uh, sell people on the nostalgia of the person you're telling the story about, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, you know. And Fosse himself was not nostalgic about himself in the slightest. No, he's he very is, self-aware. I mean, if you yes. if you read any reviews for this, the phrase that comes up over and over again is self-indulgent. And it is. It's a self-indulgent movie. But it's also extremely self-aware. I think he lets himself off the hook a little bit easy in some sequences. Um, you know, Roy, oh. Schreiner, Roy Schreiner kind of is kind of, you know... I don't know. I, I think he plays it a little soft sometimes. Doesn't totally turn into the big dick. But... It's it's not, I don't know. It's not trying to gloss over the fact that he has a lot of flaws. Uh, I do think at the end there is a sense that, you know, oh, he's just a nice guy. He's, I don't know. I, I do feel there's, there's a point <laughs> where it's self pedal, soft pedals a little bit in terms of. I, I think he was probably a little more aware at uh, how hurtful he might have been to some women. Um, I don't know. He, I don't know. It, that's my reading of it. Is I think Roy Scheider's kind of a little soft pedaling at some point. Interesting. Um, Interesting. But that doesn't take away the fact I don't think it's blind eyes. I think it's also very self aware that he has things he needs to work on. It is. I think Maslow Recites also calls it a uh, spiritual autopsy. <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, which fits yeah, with the scene that's yeah, fair. where he's wandering into the autopsy room, and um, but it's him looking at his life and absolutely. Saying, Oh, you know, yeah, I could have done things different. I could have treated people better. I don't know. It, it was just a sense that I had. Like, I, I think I'm still supposed to like the guy. And I, I don't know. I, don't know. I, I, I know so much about Fosse's life that I have a hard time. That's all there for me. So I have to really think okay. about the film in that capacity. And is it too soft on him? I... I'm willing to agree with you and at the same time argue that I don't think for the purposes of the the movie that he really wants to do here, I don't know that it matters. I don't know that it's about exposing himself necessarily okay. in that capacity. It's about the obsession with the work and with the spectacle and with the uh, – and I think he fesses up very much about his own sh- incredible shortcomings. Uh I don't. Th- I don't think he lets himself off the hook for knowing he's going to mess up his daughter, which he does in real life. I mean, it's it's eight years after this movie that Fosse actually does pass away. Okay, <laughs> and his daughter had a life of addiction issues. Okay, <laughs> is still alive. Was was one of the producers on Fosse Verdon, uh, and so he, you know, <laughs> I, I I don't. I I think he was quite aware. And I think that's it. But I'm defending the film in a way anyway, I don't want mean, feel the need to defend it. No, no. And I say this, which is, yeah, I'm not blaming yeah. you. Um, it is, it is a film that is about show business. It's about that drive to create and about that, uh, not even drive. It's he can't do anything but this. It's what he knows he can do. What the character Joe yes. Gideon knows he can do, <laughs> and it allows him to. Uh, be all of these other things at the same time and none of those things are satisfying. (laughs) Just the work is the only thing that is satisfying. And he is... It is... What what is humorous in the movie to me where where I think he soft pedals is that everything is genius. (laughs) Like... like, 
and I love that he even he even he even undercuts that. I say that, but he even undercuts that by having the TV critic rip apart the the stand up, which is the Lenny the version of Lenny that he's making in this movie mm-hmm. because he was staging Chicago. With Gwen Verdon yeah. and drinking for the stage at the time that he was finishing the editing on Lenny, and it did drive him to an utter breakdown in real life. Yeah, uh, and this is four years after all of that happened that he makes all that jazz about this period of his life where he has a breakdown. <laughs> yes, it gets it's a Mobius strip that folds in on itself. That's what Bob Fosse did, and so I think that. Uh, uh, what I what I guess I'm trying to say, and I don't know where we started, and uh, the <laughs> sentence has gone on so long, uh, that it, see it. Just see all that jazz. If you've never seen it, nothing we've said here is a spoiler. Nope. Nothing we've said is a giveaway. This is one of the most sensory experiences you can have. Oh, yeah. And if you enjoy dance in any capacity, you will see a, a wonderful wonderful thing in this movie uh and Fosse knew how to film dance he doesn't just lock the camera down you're not walking a production number he he doesn't just lock the camera down but he also knows just when to edit it oh yeah like, it's not just sitting while like my biggest criticism of you know any dance movies these days to the extent that we get them is the number of cuts we get where you're not watching someone dance Yes. But it would be boring to sit and just watch them dance. Yes. He knows when, like, even in the uh, the tap dancing sequence, there are very obvious cuts that you can tell in the middle of that. And it it, it makes it work better. It gives it a little more energy. Um, the thing about that scene that I meant to say that works so well for me is it's so energetic and it's so sweet, but it's the emotion of it. It's when you cut back to Joe Gideon, yeah. and he's watching with this, you know, sincere smile on his face, tears in his eyes, and I do think, even if there are parts where I think Roy Scheider is kind of soft pedaling it, that moment is, I, I think, Bob Fosse's genuine. Hey, but I really do love these people, and he, he does get joy. Oh yeah, in life. and and it's a great human moment. I I realized watching this, it had been a long time since I watched anything with Roy Scheider in it. And God, I miss him. <laughs> He's this. Uh, there are uh, who does he? Uh, David Thompson, the critic, the British critic, I really like Biographical Dictionary of Film, wrote about Martin Sheen. He said that uh, it's that Martin Sheen was frustrating because he never seemed to get the parts he probably deserved, mm-hmm. but he got it twice, and both times he nailed it. And that's Apocalypse Now and uh, and Badlands. To bring it back to Terrence Malick. <laughs> um, and I feel that way about Roy Scheider here. It's like Scheider's a wonderful actor who got great second parts in films. He was always he was he was always yeah. the co-star and was great and was great in French Connection in Marathon Man. <laughs> uh, but this was the one time he was given this joyous gift of a lead part, and he's not a dancer. <laughs> you know, in real life, he's, I don't think he was a dancer by any means. And you know, do you know the background of this? Who who it originally was cast. And solidly cast and dropped out because he was afraid of the dancing. I feel like it was Frank Sinatra. It's Richard Dreyfus. Richard Dreyfus. Oh, yes, I did read that. Yeah. Frank Sinatra, <laughs> I think Frank Sinatra turned it down. I would hope so. Yeah. I can't believe he was offered it. But, uh, but that's beside the point. one of those guys. But... Uh, and Dreyfus would have been a very, that would have been a different energy. Mm-hmm. And oh, yeah. I like that, sh- and if you, if you read, uh, especially the, the Watson book about Fosse, what comes across is that Fosse was charming. He was 
incredibly likable all the time. That's <laughs> he could do the most awful things, and people still thought, "Well, that's just Bob." And so I, I, I think that. I, uh, I think that might answer your fear that he's soft pedaling. I think be. it's nothing soft. It's that he's nice. He's likable, and the people with him in that movie. And this is a big subplot in Fosse Verdon. Uh, the end of that sequence you love uh, that you described, where where he and the Gwen Verdon character are fighting and dancing mm-hmm. and reliving their life story for us, so mm-hmm. that we get the background. Uh, she says, "You know, I hate." <laughs> That man drives me crazy. Uh, but she knows the work is worth it. He's yeah. going to... This is what he is. And it's it, it, it avoids, for me, the cliche in the, the Scorsese short that I love, Life Lessons from New York Stories. It doesn't imply that he has to go through all this to create the art. They are hand in hand. They are yeah. one and the same. The person that does this is the person that creates the art. It's not that they feed off each other. He doesn't create great art so that he can sleep with a lot of women. Right, right. <laughs> and I, that is interesting to me. And that is, that is something that most films won't get near. We don't like to think of it that way. We'd like to, we'd like to think, oh, you have to take this with this because they're associated. No. <laughs> a certain type of art if you're a certain type of person and right you're feeding those appetites and that's kind of what comes out I, I think that sequence the the erotica sequence which i just love that saying that but uh <laughs> i the thing that that works so much about that is like i said i don't i i can understand that that's the scene joe gideon creates but the way it's filmed and the way the movie stops to watch that sequence you can tell oh no this is what bob fossey is also oh yeah like, this is his thing and I knew nothing about the creation of the play Chicago, mm-hmm. but I have seen Chicago on you know on the screen and on the stage, and it explains so much about that play. Yes, like, and I I really wish we had gotten a Bob Fosse Chicago, <laughs> uh, you know, and maybe you know whatever. Like it just there, that is a that is a moment of the film where you're not just getting oh here's the honest truth about my life. You're getting oh yeah by the way here. Here's a core part of my personality that is very hard to translate to film. Yeah. These are my fetishes. These are my turn-ons. These are, this. you know, this is why I create the art I create. And it almost feels at times too personal. Like, there's a part <laughs> where I watch it and I go, wow, I, I feel like I know this filmmaker better than I know most people who are artists. Yes. And, and then that, you know, that's uncomfortable for one reason there. But when you start getting to the end where it's this, you know, dealing with the idea of life and death and what am I going to look back on and what what makes me choose to go on, that is deeply uncomfortable because, uh-huh. it, you know, those are the deepest questions in life. And I, I think it ends, I don't know where, I have no spoilers, but I think it ends with just not, not enough, not uplift, but it's... I couldn't tell whether it was a kick in the crotch at the end or if it, or if it was a joke I was supposed to laugh at. It's both. Yeah. and I, It's absolutely Yeah, both. and that, I was going to say, that's not a complaint. That is... Yes. Right. I will go back and watch that movie so I can get my thoughts on that sequence for years to come. Um, that is a movie I'm going to be revisiting. Oh, good. Because it, it, it never feels dated. Like, it feels no. very fresh. It feels... Of the moment, I think a lot of that is the editing, 
which just keeps it very state of mind, very, you know, you're watching this movie, it's constantly moving, it's constantly telling you yeah. something, and and I love it, I, I love a movie like that. Um, yeah, I, I really like this one. And I'm so glad. I feel like my arms aren't around it yet, which is good because I have the rest of my life to get my arms yeah. around it. it and, it's, uh, you, you'll never quite, you'll always, it's, it is, it's that wonderful, it's that wonderful Quicksilver you can't quite grab. Mm-hmm. Like, it is. It does have both of those. It is sad, and it is funny, and it is... And it feels honest. Yes. I'm not saying it feels true. No. <laughs> I'm not saying that this is the way the world is, mm-hmm. but boy, it's sure the way Bob Fosse saw it. It's yeah. such an honest film. Uh, as you said, to the point that it is painfully so at times. And that's that's a miracle. It just doesn't happen. Yeah. It, it doesn't happen. It, it, you know, it, it captures for me, we, uh, I, I get the same feeling from, and I rewatched it again last night before we recorded okay. it just to, just, and I'd seen it less than a year ago. I'd actually shown it to, uh, the film club I run at the Ipsy library. Okay. Uh, uh, I, I mean, I adore it. I can watch it anytime, but I realized, oh, I am fascinated with this movie in the same way I always return to take this waltz. I don't know how I feel about mm-hmm. her. It's so complicated. It's such an emotionally full life that I have been presented with yeah. in front of me that I'm not asked to have an easy feeling on, which is just liberating yeah. <laughs> and so incredible. And we're talking about all this, and at the same time, just watch it for the dancing. Yeah, it's it, such an amazing dance movie. It really, it's beautifully choreographed. Like I said, even the scenes that you initially don't think, oh, this is a dance sequence. They are dance sequences. and Absolutely. I, I mean, it, it's amazing just how well thought out this is, how meticulous this is. Um, I think, in, you know, just my closing thought on it is, I reached the end of Rocket Man, to bring it back to that. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, I've reached the emotional point in Rocket Man where I'm supposed to. He got his life together. He's, you know... He's, he's fighting, fighting AIDS. He, he, he's fighting AIDS, but he still shops. But, uh... Yes. <laughs> uh, but you know what? That's good. That's the emotional trajectory I'm supposed to take with this film. Good for him. Yes. The end of this movie, I don't know if I'm saying good for him. Yes. And I like being in that place a lot more. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I I wish they made more movies like this. <laughs> I think that's a... Especially when you get into the world of show business. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you can see this. It's, this movie is very hard to track down, by the way, we should say. Uh, you can get the Criterion edition. Criterion has it out, and that's a fabulous disc. That has got all kinds of... And they, they Blu-rayed it a couple years ago. So okay. it is it is available in pristine form. To purchase. Uh, if you want to rent it, you're going to have a little bit harder time. Uh, it's not on Google Play or Amazon, but i got to imagine it's going to show up on Criterion Channel at some point. One would uh, hope. But I will say your public library is a great resource. Uh, that <laughs> helps me track it down. Um, it's kind of a... Not great DVD print that our library had, but, uh, you know, it'll do until I buy the Criterion discs. So, Perry, where can people find you online? You can find me online on Facebook under my old name, Perry Seibert. You can find me at Twitter at Perry Loves Film. You can hear me every Friday morning on WLBY on the Lucy Ann Lance Show talking about movies new and old. And you can usually find me somewhere in the middle of the third row at your local multiplex. All right. You can find me on Twitter at Mere Christianity. You can find me on Facebook, but Chris Williams is kind of a common name. Um, but you can also find me at Michigan Sports and Entertainment, where I write about film. And you can listen to my other podcast, Wasting Time, which is also on Big Heads Media. 
And if you uh, like what you're hearing and you want to maybe see if we can make it sound even better and want to contribute toward, you know, great equipment and things like that, we do have a Patreon you can check out where we put out some special bonus features, things like that. So uh, check that out. It's all in the show notes, and we will see you in a few weeks. There's no business like show business, Chris. <laughs> <laughs>